Section 24 of Angelica by Elizabeth Sansay Holding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Krista Zaleski. Chapter 8. 1. She hadn't allowed herself to think about Eddie's reply. She insisted to herself that it would be, must be, favorable. But when the letter came, when at last she held it in her hand, she was panic-stricken. She reverted. Oh, God, she murmured, what if he's changed his mind? This is what she read. My dearest girl, you can't possibly imagine how I felt when I got your letter. I was still in the hospital where I had been for five months with a bad foot, and to tell you the truth, I didn't care much whether I ever went out of it again. I can't explain it very well, but there is something about the war and this filthy, brutal way of living that makes it unbearable to lose any pleasures or joys out of life. You get to believe that nothing matters except being happy, and you are my happiness. When I thought I'd lost you, I didn't care about going on. Of course there's your country, and your family, and your ambition, and so on, but somehow they don't seem real. I thought of you all the time. I wrote and wrote, and didn't get any answer. Then I asked Vincent to look you up, but he wrote that you'd moved and he couldn't trace you. I don't quite see how I could have gone back to the firing line again if you hadn't written. It's bad enough anyway, but it wouldn't be bearable without some sort of guiding star. Don't think I'm getting sentimental, Angelica, but you are that, you know, to me. I hope this will soon be over. It's worse than I thought it would be, but I'm glad I came. I wouldn't like other fellows to be doing this job for me. But when I get home, it seems like a vision of paradise, you waiting for me and my home and good food and a nice clean bed and hot water. I don't want you to think that I've deteriorated, that I'm always thinking of physical things, because I'm not. When you're always uncomfortable, you can't help thinking too much about comfort. But I think much more about other things. I think a lot about what is the best way to use a life. I can see lots of things I've done wrong. I look forward awfully to making a fresh start. It will all seem so new, like being born again. Everything will seem remarkable and interesting. All sort of things I didn't used to notice. And to think that there was a time when I used to think quite calmly about being married to you. Of course, my dear, I always did look forward to it as the greatest possible happiness. But I more or less took it for granted. The sort of happiness a fellow always expects. But now, Angelica, it seems as wonderful and beautiful and far off as heaven. I can't even really believe that I'll ever see you again. I've got so used to being a lousy, muddy, hunted animal that I can't believe it will ever end. I don't even long for the end. It seems so impossible. I have a damnable conviction, an obsession, I suppose they'd call it, that everyone gets killed in the war. So many of the chaps I knew have gone, often killed beside me, and in the hospital, dying so sickeningly. I can't help imagining that everyone in the world is dying, so that the idea of coming home and marrying you is, I can't describe what it is, really and literally a dream of heaven. Angelica, darling, don't disappoint me again. I couldn't bear it. Write to me faithfully as often as possible, even every day. It wouldn't be much to do for you who are at home and safe and comfortable. With all my heart, Eddie. Now, this letter might have disappointed another girl, but not Angelica. She didn't mind at all its being so little lover-like, so much concerned with Eddie and his feelings, and so little concerned with herself. She was, in fact, very proud that such a learned and serious young man as Eddie should write to her at all. She was overjoyed, exultant to see that he still wanted her, with a sort of humility in her joy quite unusual in her. I won't disappoint him ever again, she cried. 
I'll do my very best. I'll just live for him. And if it's like a dream of heaven to him, she reflected, so it is to me. I've suffered, too. It couldn't have been much worse for anyone, anywhere. Oh, won't it be heaven to be safe, to be his wife, and settled there at Buena Vista, and rich, and everyone looking up to me? A motor car of my own, and lovely clothes, and a beautiful room? I'll have Miss Sillen and Miss Devery out to see me. She looked at herself in the mirror. I'm getting to look refined, she thought, not factory any more. When I can have real grand clothes, I'll be beautiful. Vincent said I lost heaven when I stopped loving him, she reflected. Well, I'll get it back again with Eddie. 2. In spite of his entreaty, she waited for more than a week before she replied to Eddie's letter, for she wished to have something to tell him. She spent two entire evenings over her letter, and when it was done, there was hardly a mistake in it, in spelling, in grammar, or in sentiment, for Angelica was fast learning the correct way to feel. Dear Eddie, your letter was so wonderful, and I could not write one nearly so good or so interesting. I understand how you feel, but I do not know how to say anything. I feel like that, too. Afraid to expect any happiness, but I want to fight for it. I want to tell God that I will not be cheated, and that it has all got to come out right. I go to the movies with Mother whenever there is a war picture, to try and get some idea of what it is like over there, but I guess no one can. That is another thing I don't dare to think about. All that you must be suffering. But, Eddie, dear, I will try my best to make it up to you when you get back. I don't go to the factory any more, but I have a very nice place as a milliner with two girls, who have a shop in Washington Square. I am doing nicely. I design the hats myself and make them, and Miss Sillen says it will not be long before my hats are recognized everywhere in New York. Angelique, I call myself on the label I sew in the hats. She says they are almost too daring, but very original. She wanted to write more much more about her hats, but she knew it wouldn't do. She was required to fill up the letter with general observations and with her interest in Eddie, and so she did. She was pleased with this letter, and yet it troubled her. She felt both mean and cruel. She knew that she had nothing to give Eddie. She knew that in every way she was defrauding and injuring him. To stifle her distress she had only her profound faith in herself, her conviction that she had obliterated the past and could and would make a glorious future. She couldn't help contrasting her labored and prudent letter with his careless candor. Evidently, he didn't care what he said. He just wrote her what came to mind. He felt so sure of her. I haven't really done him any harm, she protested, lying awake in the dark. If he never knows, it's just exactly the same, for him, as if it never happened. And still she knew that she was forcing him to play the part he would have hated and rejected beyond any other, that of the poor dishonored fool. She didn't even love him. I'll learn to love him, she cried. I love him a little bit already. And still she knew how much she disliked even the memory of his kisses. Sometimes a wave of sheer terror came over her. No one's ever done such a thing, she thought, remembering all the stories she had read. It can't be done. Somehow, some day, it would be found out. It always is. But this she could combat. I don't care if it's never been done, she would cry. I'll do it. I'll marry Eddie, and he'll never know, and it'll all end happily. I'll make it. I won't be found out. End of section 24